When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to So Very Wrong About Games, a board gaming podcast about board games. Sadly, Walker, we did not win the Golden Geek this year. What? Yeah, on the on the minor, minor problem that we were not nominated oh. due to the minor problem that we are not eligible. Side face. This is what corruption looks like. This is what a corrupt, unfair system looks like when a couple of hardworking Canadian boys, small town Ontario, that worked our way up through... The communist regime. I mean, <laughs> the consumerism regime. I don't know how you got here. I can't say. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Anyway, con- sincere congratulations to the winners. Winner and two runners up. Specifically, this game is broken. Congratulations. Welcome to the Elite Club of Golden Geek Award winners for Best Podcast. And the two runners up, Beyond Solitaire and One Stop Co-op Shop. That is some fine, fine company, I dare say. Agreed. So with that in mind, this is a board gaming podcast about board games. We are going to talk about the Aurus, the as-yet-unnamed retrospective intro segment, the game we reviewed last year. We're going to talk about the games we played last week, the news, and why it doesn't matter. And then our topic for this week is Right Game, Wrong People. This is for when there's a disjunct between what you need or want to get to the table and the people that happen to be around that table. The scrubs. (laughs) I mean, oh, okay, those, Walker's picked a stance. <laughs> those lovely, lovely people. <laughs> so, Walker, what did we review last year? We reviewed a game called Tribune, and we've recently played the new edition of Tribune. Yes, we have. And it's a, a grand new edition it is. Yes, I for, I had forgotten that you had not played the new edition yet, that you had reviewed... This was actually back during the dark days of Mark traveling on the road, and I knew I would be getting the new edition from crowdfunding, and so I lent you my old edition, and so we, we both we both played the editions. And so this is your first experience with the new one. What did you think of the uh, the, the, the graphics of the new edition? Because that's what mostly would change. I, I don't know. For some reason, I didn't like the layout. I like sort of like the winding road of old the old Tribune for whatever reason. Maybe it's just mm. a familiarity thing. Sure. But I got used to it. And then they had these new little mini games that you kind of played. No one really got too far into it for whatever reason. Uh, no, I don't think anyone went to that space except for very, very near the end of the game when it didn't matter. Yeah. And I had completely forgotten, or perhaps I just never noticed the first times that I played the new edition, how bad some of the color matching is. There are lots of these shades of pastel that correspond to the different factions, and I'd look at a faction marker and think, oh, that's the gladiators. It's like, no, no, it's not the gladiators. Those are those are the prefects or what have you. And uh, that was very frustrating. And I think that alone might make me want to just go back to the older edition I think the, the two green shades were the worst, I think. Oh, yeah, that was But ha- some of the player aids were really terrible. good. I think it, it made the victory conditions a little more clear, this new edition, in my opinion. Well, it's true. There, but the thing is, is that the victory, <laughs> it made the victory conditions clearer, yes. But the player aid of the original edition 
had the faction benefits printed there. So you didn't, anyway, it's, it's bizarre. It's, I, I think, let me be very clear. Both editions of Tribune, the one published by Spielworks in 2021 and the edition published by Fantasy Flight, especially if you have the expansion, are equally worthy. I find their differences frustrating. I wish there was one edition that I could recommend over the other unreservedly, but as it is, I guess this is a nice position to be in. I can recommend both of them unreservedly. Tribune remains my favorite worker placement game. I focus on the nits because, I, again, as I say, I'm kind of caught between these two editions. But as it is, I still adore the player interaction, the tension, the direct competition of getting sets. The moment anybody, it's almost like Stationfall, to be frank. The moment anyone puts a worker anywhere for any card, you start thinking, why do they want that card? What are they going to do with that card? Is that card going to be, am I vulnerable to that card? Okay. Which is a complete change of pace from from a lot of the other worker placement games, even the really good ones, where, oh, go ahead, whale, that's fine, okay, have fun, I need to go get my stuff to feed my guys. It's true, it's, I don't even want, do you want, would it be a hand builder? Worker placement hand builder, you're trying to build this hand of cards through all these different types of actions. There is a lot of hand it, management, yeah. yeah be there, be, either be auction or split and choose or all these different ways to get cards in your hand, and then you're going to use these cards to influence different factions that have all sorts of different special abilities that ultimately get you victory. Yes, victory, albeit not victory points. That's another great element of Tribune. You don't feel like you're an accountant eking out an extra two victory points at the end of the game. It's all about fulfilling a certain list of criteria. And again, the the, the, the biggest change with the new edition is the introduction of the Christian faction. They do change things up considerably because when the moment they show up, the moment the Christianity is legalized in the Roman Empire, as per the incredibly thin theming of the game in terms of narrative, you then replace one of the list of victory conditions that you have to pursue with the victory condition provided by the Christian faction. So that part is an interesting development. It gives the game of Tribune a sort of sense of arc of development, it's the most important and influential event that happens in the otherwise forgettable event deck. But as I say, the certain graphical problems, the the the, the strangely rulesy competition minigame that almost never manifests to any great shakes. I mean, maybe if everybody around the table has played Tribune dozens of times in the new edition, then suddenly that becomes hotly contested. But as it is, it's so weird that people leave it alone. Anyhow, I complain mostly. The but new again. edition doesn't have a chariot mark. Also, the it's new edition. Sad. You're right. The new edition doesn't have a chariot. Well, that settles it then. Yeah. Unplayable. Old edition it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just so. Well, no, not up. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Tribune. As I say, it remains my very favorite worker placement game. That's no small praise. By Carl Heinz Schmiel, the venerable game designer. Published by the new edition by Spielworks. The older edition by Heidelberger. Distributed in North America by Fantasy Flight Games. And that was the game we played exactly one year ago. Now, on to the games we played this week. Mark, what did we play this week? Well, I played a game of Imperium the Contention. I showed this to the two Louis, who are very conflict-oriented. And I have to say, this, this is the extent to which I enjoy Imperium the Contention. I have now come to the conclusion, and this is honestly, I mean this very sincerely, this is a sad conclusion to reach. I've reached the conclusion that the two Louis are borderline incapable of targeting anyone other than me. At the table. I mean, I mean this sincerely, and I, I, other people agree with me. And at times, the Louis themselves. And uh, this is not a way I enjoy playing games. I don't like feeling aggrieved. I don't like knowing that I have a reason to feel aggrieved. It was so bad, Walker, that uh, it was the case that we, we explained very carefully the rule. 
Louis asked, oh, well, is there anything that prevents my spaceships from flying through other spaceships? And they said, no, unless you fly through some of Huey's spaceships that have tractor beam. And Huey pointed to it and said, I have tractor beams over here. He said, okay, cool. And then the very next turn, he, he sailed through some tractor beams trying to kill me. And we said, no, you can't do that. There are these tractor beams. I'm like, oh, okay. So then he just decided not to attack anybody. This is the, this is the kind of stuff that you, no, I'm serious. It's almost pathological. Despite that, I had a great time playing the contention. I was fighting, I was literally fighting a three front war. Kneecap the leader, Mark. That's, that's a good strategy. I wasn't the leader. Eventually, I'm sure you would have been. Someday, somewhere on exactly. some parallel universe in some hypothetical version of a timeline of a dimension somewhere, that, that's the justification. Yeah, you'll be String theory. And you'll wonder why. Bash the leader. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Imperium the Contention is a sadly out of print, marvelous little card game, greatest hits version of a sci-fi 4X thing. The toys come fast. The toys come frequently. Cool things get to happen all the time. Neat ships abound. It's a wonderful game. Now, the one imbalance problem that I'm thinking of possibly house ruling for the next time is the, well, it's Mercatal Rex. Let's not mince words. It's Mercatal Rex. The Imperial Capital at the beginning is a massively powerful location. It drowns you in points every turn. Also puts a target on your back if you're me, of course. If you're not me, you ignore them and never attack them during the course of the entire game because the Louis always want to attack Well, they me. deserve the center if it's somebody else. Yeah, clearly. You do not. Clearly. Uh, it's also a shipyard, which means that you can just pop out new ships there at will. As a consequence, whoever gets there first has an incredible built-in advantage. Not only are they on the defense, but they can just deploy there at will, whereas everyone else laboriously has to get their ships over. I'm considering implementing some limitation on that shipyard condition. Maybe a shipyard 2, which is to say any ship that is cheap can go there, but the expensive ones can't be deployed directly, or just removing shipyard entirely. Anyway, past that, though, there's a reason why... I suggested Imperium the Contention, even though I knew I'd be fighting a three-front war in a four-player game, <laughs> turning it into a weird 1VL co-op where I had no special advantages. Maybe I should just start cheating. Best best policy, I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe just like tripling my income and, and hoping they don't notice. Anyway, that is Imperium the Contention by Gary Dworetsky at Contention Games. Contention Games is also the people who got the license to slay the Spire, and it's largely on that basis that I ended up, against my better judgment, pledging for that project. Anyway, I'll see what happens. It's a delightful little game, a marvelous achievement of design compression, of synthesization. And so I'm always happy to play Imperium of Contention. It's continued to please. Mark, we got to play a review copy of Distilled. This is designed by David Beck and published by Paverson Games. We seem to be having an issue with player count lately. We played a two-player game of Masters of the Universe with six players. Yes. I don't know why we did that. And then we played that was a, your idea. Then we played a solo game of Distilled with three players. That was your idea, too. That was also my idea. I think yeah. I, I need to read the rule book better. No, no, no. The problem is the rule book is lying to you and you're believing them. Oh, I see. The box, too. The box as well. Distilled. You know those numbers on the side that say age, time, and, and player count? Yes. All of those are lies. I, I think we should know better by now. I should know better by now. It's tough because you have to start to get. You have to learn each liar. Each liar lies differently. That's why it's so tricky about them. It's true. Yeah, I played sort of like a a solo game, not using the actual solo rules, just so I can get sort of the feel of how the flow of the game would go. And I was immensely enjoying it and looking forward to playing a game with more people. Unfortunately, the lack of player interaction made the state of the game of people jumping ahead because there's no reason for them to wait. And just the lack of sort of buildup or any tension or 
any new toys, just the sort of cycling through the same actions over and over again sort of didn't give me the feeling I wanted. I think it will make a fantastic solo game. Mm. I just don't think it really worked with multiple players. So I was dreading playing Distilled because for in reasons not entirely transparent to me, I really have no interest in games about producing alcohol or most foods in general. Even if I like the food, uh, I'm not really down for it. The only reason why I was so enthusiastic about Steam Up, the game about dim sum, was because it had lovely little plastic dim sum pieces. If there were adorable little like wooden bottles or plastic bottles in Distilled, I probably would have felt better about it. Anyway, I just don't have any enthusiasm for the theme. I don't drink. I, I don't have anything against it. No moral objections to it whatsoever. Just not for me. A lot of people get really into it. It's it's a hobby unto itself. I completely understand. Similarly, I wouldn't really have a big thing about, you know, rolling and aging cigars or, or what have you. It's just not my deal. I was reasonably surprised by how painless I felt it to be, despite the fact that there are some structural problems on top of the objection. When you started laying out the rules and the strange influence of randomness and distilled is bizarre. The way that it works is it's kind of a recipe fulfillment game where you have a variety of different kinds of alcohols and you set out the alcohols, your, your, your the, the ingredients to this alcohol that you're going to try to make, and then you randomly remove two of them and then see if you can still satisfy the recipe. This struck me facially as absurd. In gameplay terms, it's still absurd, but it's mostly inconsequential. Most of the time, you're able to get to where you want to go. The more pernicious aspect of it, though, is that, as you say, there's not a real sense of development because the moment you start building up a sort of infrastructure to th into throwing a whole bunch of grain sugars at a particular kind of drink, then the only other kind of drinks you're interested in making are ones with also grain sugars. It is expensive and not rewarding to pivot, so you might as well just keep doing the thing in turn four that you did in turn two in all likelihood. Compounding this was that you and I both started with unique signature drinks that relied on grain alcohol. And so consequently, the only real player interaction we have was we were looking at the market deck, wishing for more grains to come up so we could go buy them. Now, again, one might say, but Mark, doesn't that answer your previous criticism? No, because really, if you just do a hard-headed calculation of, should I therefore buy all of these plant sugars and then the recipe to this other thing, and then that lets me get fewer points? Okay, no, I guess I'll just keep hoping for more of the same. Bit of a shame, really. Yeah, I'm wondering, I'm going to look at the recipe cards because there is a, a, a large variety of recipe cards. We yes. played the We played the A set, which was all of the alcohol required a single type of sugar. And I'm hoping maybe it'll, it'll change it up a little bit. I, I'm doubtful. Were I to play again, I would insist on, regardless of who is at the table, of not playing with the A set. Because as you oh, say, yes. the lack of variety just means that you, it's like, okay, I'll just go buy more of the same. It really doesn't help that overall feeling of, of, of repetition. And consequently, if you're just going to be repeating the same thing over and over and there's no real development, it is possible that those random elements might be more determinative than I'd like them to be. Because the difference between randomly pulling off, you know, some water or what have you in the, what's it called? The backwash? The washback. Wash still sounds gross. I don't understand it. I'm sure it refers to something, what have you. But if you pull off a, you know, a water and a yeast, what have, whatever, you can go still make what you want to make. There were times, however, where one could imagine that random pull being the difference between a 12-point drink and a 5-point drink. I don't even know why the mechanic exists. It seems so absurd. I, I, do, I, well, I, I do think I think it has to do with making alcohol. I think sometimes you're just not sure what the end result is going to be. Is that how it works, though? It is. Is it really the case that you assemble together a whole bunch of ingredients and you're thinking, well, this is either going to be a 
cask a cask aged drink or it's going to be vodka. Like, is that is that how it works? I, I don't know precisely. But I don't think there, that's there how is, it works. That's, well, it is how the flavor deck works. There is a whole mechanism about aging the drinks as well, which is kind of interesting. In some cases, you're putting in these flavor cards and, and stuff might happen. The flavor deck I had no problem with. On the face of it, 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 again, I was worried that it was just another opportunity to add weird randomness. But really, the, the, the difference between a terrible flavor like bandages or plastic bottles is not hugely different from the really, really valuable ones like chocolate or coffee. Yeah, it was. I think it was a spread from zero to two, I think was the difference. And it was just money. The victory points accrue at the yeah. same rate. So I, I really didn't object to that part. That, was, that part struck me as a nice little bit of whimsy. That kind of randomness is fine. But the the kind of the kind of randomness as well, where it's it's not even input or output randomness. It's the kind of randomness that says, "Well, you've already made your decision. Now we're just going to see randomly whether or not it succeeds or results in complete failure." Ugh, do not approve. If it happened in some other way, where it's the case that you assemble your ingredients and the randomness kicks in at an earlier part, and then you're able to wrestle that into something, that would be different. But by that point, all your choices are already made, and it's just like rolling to hit. I mean, I didn't add much. And then when you when you do distill it, there's sort of like a, a get to the labels first kind of thing. There's a limited number of labels. I won't get too much into that. But then when you get your label, there's this variety of, of unlocks on the top of your board that you can you know unlock in whatever order you want. And it does make a little bit of a difference of that order, either getting some money or some upgrades for your distillery. And there's all these different people you can hire and special you know ingredients that will give you more victory points. There, Like I said, there are a lot of interesting things in distilled and i'm going to i'm actually going to look at the actual solo version to see how it plays because i it, i did have fun learning how to play not as much fun actually playing there's a lot of character to be had but again i'm not really it's not really the kind of character that that, that appeals to me <laughs> reading about this distillery owner versus that hypothetical fictional distillery owner uh, it, it, yeah that's distilled a review copy from david beck and published by paver sun games Played Quartermaster General 2nd Edition. So Quartermaster General started with Griggling Games and Quartermaster General Simpliciter. The naming of this series has become more and more fraught with every additional Quartermaster General series. And so you have to specify that Quartermaster General Simpliciter was World War II. Fortunately, 2nd Edition Quartermaster General's Cord is called Quartermaster General World War II. And uh, this is my first time playing with the expansion Total War, which in turn is kind of the omnibus expansion version that covers both the Air Force, and alternate history expansions for the original base game. So suffice to say, this is the second edition brought up to par with all the features of, of the first edition. This was requested by somebody locally, and so we got down, we actually wrangled the six people necessary to play. Felt like the before times. <laughs> yeah. Actually playing a six-player non-party game. Fancy that. Crazy. And it was very successful. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed it. I maintain my doubts about the game balance with alternate histories because ultimately I felt that with Air Force, Air Force's Quartermaster General was reasonably balanced. And then suddenly with alternate histories, what you do is you activate the French and the Chinese, both of which are the Allied side. And the Chinese especially give, giving more victory points to the Allies right from the start of the game and the French doing so most of the time as well. And I just didn't see any commensurate increase in the strength of the Axis. And this was definitely the case this time. We had the odd situation. I explained this at the start of the game. In Quartermaster General, usually somebody gets decked. And you just have to accept the fact that somebody on, on one or both sides is just going to suffer. 
and run out of supplies. It's the nature of the beast, so play carefully and try to hope that you play as a team and let your teammate pull you out of, out of the fire when necessary. More on that later, perhaps. But in this case, what happened was the strangest thing. Nobody got decked. The game ended before that with a sudden death victory because Germany wasn't able to get the war machine going. It's the first time I've ever seen this. In both Quartermaster General, the World War II version, and in the World War I version, Germany is drowning in cards that let it do multiple things at once because it is expected to pull heavy duty in terms of military advancement. Here, it was the Italians that were keeping things down. We were, we were seconds away from the British occupying Berlin in, like, round three when the Italians showed up to defend. It was the strangest thing. Alternate history, Mark. Yeah, but similarly, by the same token, the Soviets were driven out of Moscow in round five or so. They were only able to maintain their map presence by virtue of the fact that they had established a base in Southeast Asia. It was wild. I do enjoy watching the sort of, at a very, very, very high level, these wildly fantastic alternate versions coming uh, coming into play. That was neat. Everyone enjoyed the mechanisms. Everyone enjoyed the card play. There was a lot of frowned faces of concentration as, as everyone had to discard a card at the end of every turn because it's a real agony in Quartermaster General because all the cards are so good and you don't want... You don't know what you're going to need later. It was wonderful. We also played with the other expansion, Prelude. That was the one expansion that was usable with both editions. I really like Prelude. It gives a kind of sort of a little bit of historical flavor as well to the outset of the war, and it let, gives people a bit of a jump start. So the early turns get to be super consequential, and it adds very little in terms of rules, grit, or play duration. So now that I've finally been able to experience Quartermaster General 2nd Edition in all its glory, I think it is just as wonderful as the original version. I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't take this opportunity to change certain card types. I commented on this before when I played the 2nd Edition before. Response cards, they don't feel like response cards. They're actually planned cards. You play them face down as your turn, and then they get revealed at certain triggers. Whereas bolster cards are the cards you play from your hand. If it were just a question of switching the titles, I'd just switch to the titles. <laughs> because you play bolster cards in response to various... Anyway. <laughs> this is a thing they easily could have done when changing editions, but they chose not to. I'm a little bit disappointed by that. And I'm also able to resurrect the long-dormant feature with now a slightly different title. A 12-year-old reviews game components. He dismissed most of the card art as basic, but then he saw the land attack card, and that one impressed him a great deal. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so, Quartermaster General 2nd Edition Total War... This is by Ian Brody and Ares Games. We are big fans of all the Quartermaster General games, with the possible exception of Cold War, which didn't really strike our fancy. I think I still prefer World War I, just because of how well it captures this sort of political dynamism coupled with fixed entrenched lines of battle. Trench warfare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, I am happy to play any Quartermaster General game. They now scale from, well, if you want to include the two-player War of the Ring game, they scale all the way from two players all the way up to six. With options for each player count. I have not played the War of the Rings card game. We should try again. Anyway. I don't know, man. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> it's anyway. possible. I, oh, I'm sure I'd enjoy it. Ian Brody's a great game designer. So let's stay in World War II, but let's reduce the scale immensely to a single complex. This is Sniper Elite by... This is a review copy sent to us by the designers, Roger Tankersley. And David Thompson. And this is a hidden movement game. One player plays the assassin. They have the large map that is... The sniper, even. Sniper, even. What did I say? Assassin? You said assassin. S sorry. I've seen difference. True enough. So, giant map, but the, the sniper has a sort of little whiteboard mini version that only they can see. So, they plan out their movement. I think this works a lot 
better. I think it's, I guess, it's the, I don't know why this works so much better than Scotland Yard and all the other games, because it's the same sort of dynamism. It's, you know, three to four players all co-op together versus one. But the flow of this game just seems to be so much better, maybe because they don't put a, a, a specific turn order in it. They just, you sort of just do what you want during your turn. Maybe that's what it is. But anyway, this flow of this game is so much better. Everything about it is great. I love Sniper Elite. I love Sniper Elite 2. The only problem that I felt that we had with this particular uh, iteration, this is the first time we were using a variant map from the expansion Eagle's Nest, and there were some components that were already we were already using, like the alternate sniper versions that have special powers and start with different bag components, and all that's fine. But I think that what makes Sniper Elite sing to me is the quality of the maps. Because what can kill a hidden movement game is, number one, upsetting the delicate balance between the, everyone being tense all the time. Everyone needs to feel as much as possible that you're on the verge of being discovered or the verge of discovering somebody. If it's the case that you spend too much time where somebody's completely safe or completely cornered, the tension's ruined. You can't maintain the game on, on that scope. And I think that Sniper Elite does a brilliant job of walking that tightrope for very, very long. There were periods where we had where Walker was the sniper in this case. There were periods where we thought we you knew where you were, you slipped the net. And then there were periods where we were trying to find you again, and then we knew where you were. It was it was great. Back and forth, a real sense of development. The tension was maintained the entire time. The other aspect that Sniper Elite does really well is that the maps are super simple and yet super well calibrated so as to maintain the tension. And that's one of the ways in which I think Eagle's Nest was not ideal for us, because we hadn't played in a few months. I didn't do a full rules explanation again, which I probably should have. And as a consequence, there were a couple bits of ambiguity as to the map and how movement worked which is entirely on me, entirely my fault. And these are problems that we've never had on the base game maps. I'm not saying that we shouldn't play the expansion maps. I'm saying that when we play the expansion maps, it should be when everyone remembers exactly how everything works. Agreed. I agree with you. In terms of hidden movement games, Sniper Elite is absolutely the very best. Now, this caused yet another discussion that is not uncommon to our tables, which is, why is it okay to be Nazis? And it's 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 a funny phenomenon. We've talked about it a lot on the show. I've talked about it also on Bloke. Yeah, it happened when I was a child. I I tried to get my parent. I think it would have it would have turned out awfully anyway. But Colditz Castle, yeah, escape from Colditz, yeah. that, that did not fly whatsoever on the on the family table. Yeah, and look, just to be perfectly clear, we completely understand why a whole bunch of people would absolutely either refuse to play a game like that entirely, or would perhaps be comfortable playing the game, but would not be willing to play any of the Axis powers or Germany specifically or what have you. That I completely understand. Like, just as I said, I'm not really comfortable playing games about brewing just because I'm not jazzed about it, right? And that isn't even a principled objection. That's just a, eh, as opposed to the theme. How about if I make this small change to Sniper Elite? What okay. if What if we made the officers on the German side specific real officer names that were in the army? How awful would that feel? <laughs> okay, what if, what if, uh, every time the sniper announced they were going to be firing at somebody... We added additional little biographical details, not even related to historical elements, just like their favorite kind of cheese or their relationship with their mother or something. Well, that that's the video game. Yeah, exactly. That that I think is the joke <laughs> that we're making. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just, I'm I was being serious. Like, oh, you're I being think, serious. Oh, yeah, no, oh, I no, thought I'm, no. I'm just saying, I'm not saying I want that change to be made. Yeah. But I'm saying if if that change was made, then mm-hmm. I would feel much different. Like, sure. There's no way that you know the you know hitler would be in this type of game right right, right at right, this right, thing right. but if you put in like actual like officers from the thing and you know the things that they've done right it would give a much different feel to hmm. the game hmm. 
Yeah, so this intersects in a very complicated way with my with my pacifism, right? Because almost invariably, when I'm playing a game, whether it's video game or board game, I'm already adopting uh, a set of values that are not my own, right? Almost invariably. Just to reiterate, I've, I've said this position a number of times before. I don't find games about World War II to be necessarily culturally problematic or toxic because there are no widespread toxic counter-narratives about World War II. When someone sits down to play Quartermaster General, or even a heavier consim, like, you know, Unconditional Surrender, you name it, it doesn't matter. When they're sitting down and they're playing one of the Axis powers, everybody at the table, everybody in the room, every almost everybody in the country knows they're playing the bad guys, right? And that degree of unanimity of, con- of, of consensus makes me feel more comfortable because I don't feel like we're perniciously spreading the appeal of the Third Reich. This is not true of all consens, for example, some American Civil War games. This is not true of all Euros even, but nonetheless. Anyway, I just wanted to to flag that because it came up again as a topic of conversation, both at the table of Quartermaster General and at the table of Sniper Elite, because players at both games said, huh, I felt okay playing a member of the German army during World War II. I wonder why that is. And it's like, well, I have I have my reason why it's okay with me. I don't know why it might be not... A, I, I can imagine why it would be not okay with other people, but I can't begin to speculate as to other people's principles with respect to the matter. Yeah, because there's no way while you're playing it, you're going to play it in a way that's going to question the outcome of what happened in real life. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exa- precisely, precisely. It is not engaged in a, in a counter-narrative. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So that was Sniper Elite, specifically the Eagle's Nest expansion designed by Roger Tankersley and David Thompson. A month without David Thompson is a mistake. It's the greatest hidden movement game I've ever played by a significant margin. We played more Tapple. There is only Tapple, Walker. Soon. Soon all will be Tapple. Soon all will be Tapple. Tapple. <laughs> tapple. Tapple, Tapple's all. This is the word game by, well, the, the recent edition is published by the OP Games. Sadly, uncredited. We do not like uncredited board games, but, none, well, we don't like it when board games go uncredited, but this is a board game that we enjoy. This is the first time we ever went to, we went to sudden death. The way Tapple works is on a 10-second timer, you have to hit a letter that has not yet been hit this round and say a word that starts with, uh, with that letter that matches the topic. So the one on the front of the box, for example, is pizza toppings. And the one the one we got a lot was feelings. And we mostly focused on bad ones. It was like regret, jealousy, like, oh man, it Depression. was it was grim. Yes. But nonetheless amusingly grim. We actually got to and it was that it was that feelings category that went to sudden death. When you go to sudden death, or rather when you go to the next round, if all the buttons have already been pushed or depressed if you want, haha. Then you flip up all the buttons, and now you have to give two answers within time seconds, and that was wild. (laughs) There was a bit of disagreement as to whether or not you could repeat answers given before. I don't know. The rules are somewhat ambiguous, which is not surprising given how brief they are. But Tapple is now something that we pull out at the start of or end of nearly every game we play. Yeah, it gets the brain moving and because we can't think of what we want to play right away. So let's get the juices flowing and play Tapple because it takes all of three seconds to get set up and going. I don't know. Even when we know exactly what we're going to play, we tend to without Tapple anyway. <laughs> this is true. Great time with Tapple. Speaking of Tapple and the game we played right after, it is called The Great Zimbabwe. This is designed by Joran Duman and Joris Weirsigna. And this is published by Splatter Spielen. It is one of their earlier games, and it's one that is closest to a traditional board game, I believe. 
What do you mean by traditional well, board game? Well, I just mean one that you can that explains in a decent amount of time and plays in a decent amount of time. Oh, sure. Yes, yes. It is much, much, much faster yes. to set up, to explain, and to play than nearly anything else in the catalog, with the possible exception of that weird game they published about Khan that no one plays anymore. Yeah, there's not like 50 layers of, of uh, you know, figuring out <laughs> what's going on type thing. Well, I mean, okay, so... In terms of just playing the game, that's absolutely true. When I first... This is this is only my second time playing The Great Zimbabwe. The first time I played it, I played it several years ago. And in large part because every, a lot of people who really like the Splatter catalog tend to point to The Great Zimbabwe as one of the best games they've ever published. Usually, people who are friends of Splatter tend to fall into one of three camps. There are the Food Chain Magnate people, the Zimbabwe people... And the Indonesia people. The Indonesia people are kind of a vocal minority, and that, that's fine. I'm not. I'm not judging. And the when I first played the Great Zimbabwe, I thought, and this is partially because I'd just been coming off Zimbabwe for, for all things, that it was too much about logistics, about getting something from point A to point B. And what I realized upon playing it again is that that is true sometimes, because like pretty much every other game in Splatter's catalog. No two games of the Great Zimbabwe are going to develop the same way. You're given this sandbox that has, yes, spatial elements. There's an element of a spatial puzzle. But there's also, like pretty much every other splatter element, an economic game on top of that. And when the economic game predominates, frequently the spatial elements are less concerning. We very frequently had the problem of not being able to afford things. We very rarely had the problems of getting things to our front door. And that I found fascinating. It's true. I liked everything about it. It had a very interesting sort of bidding mechanism for being first, and that definitely mattered at all times. Oh, yeah. Because in order to upgrade anything, which gave you the victory points, you needed access to resources, and whoever used the resources first, they were spent for that whole round. So, you know, figuring out how much you wanted to spend of that your the one and only resource of cows. Well, it's interesting. You also kind of have victory points, but go on. Uh... Because, yeah, I, that, that was it. You need to go first. Yes. You don't go first, it's trouble. Unless, <laughs> unless you you push it so hard that the the first the person that spent so much to go first doesn't have enough cows left over to burn that many resources. And there'll still be something left for you to use afterwards. Which happened once or twice, actually. Yes. It, it, the bidding system is is very strange. I don't like how much, and this is true, again, very, very characteristic of the Splatter Catalog, your first turn can be incredibly consequential in a game of the Great Zimbabwe because the way you get things actually onto the map, the way you trigger special powers, the way you in engage the economy, the way you build the economy, the way you build infrastructure is all about taking these cards, all of which increase the victory threshold you need to win. So in a very straightforward way, they're like negative victory points. You start off needing to be able to score 20 points in order to win, and whether you want to parse taking one of those gods as increasing your threshold by seven or losing seven points right at the top, six of one, half of the other, doesn't matter. And to somebody who's incredibly conservative like me, I found those choices deliciously agonizing. That part I really appreciated. The part where you have to carefully count out the number of cows you're going to need for round one, not so great. Is it less daunting than a game of Food Chain Magnet? Absolutely, because you can make terrible decisions in your first game of Food Chain Magnet. Usually it, it amounts to taking the wrong first employee, and then the person teaching the game should absolutely tell you, no, 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 don't take that. <laughs> if they don't, they're being mean. But anyway, I, I, I really appreciated the fact that it was less about the spatial element and more about the economy. And it was ultimately the case that I, you know, near midway through the game, 
I had to look at the map and say, okay, this is not shaping out to be the way the game that I thought it was going to be. I'm in serious trouble unless I'm willing to start engaging with the economy as it exists rather than the economy as I remembered it. And that's when I took the high cost uh, god that gave me the ability to change the bidding order somewhat anyway. And I I really, really appreciated it. Four new players, it took 90 minutes to play, which is, uh, you know, not a short game, but certainly short by splatter standards. And I definitely am starting to see what the Zimbabwe fans are talking about with respect to the Great Zimbabwe. And the three actions are so critical that you want to do all of them, never mind just having to pick one. There's one specific one, which you will hardly ever pick, but want to take it all of the time, (laughs) which is simply putting out a new temple. It costs nothing. You just put out a new monument. But unfortunately, and and it's so crucial for you to have it out there. Yes. But but having that as your only thing you do for that round is... It feels like deliciously painful. I know. You have to do it, though. It's it's those classic instances of a lot of... We talk about this often in the context of Reiner Knizia games, right? Whether it's Whale Riders or whether it's his more complicated games like Tigers and Euphrates, sometimes you have to let up on the pedal. You have to take those actions that feel like a waste. Sometimes you have to take an action to burn your contract cards. Sometimes you have to take an action to burn your tiles just because the game state is such that you need to pivot. And in the context of the Great Zimbabwe, when the only action that you can do at scale is upgrading your monuments. And you have to weigh the trade-off of inefficiently only upgrading one or two monuments versus the inefficiency of placing new ones so later on down the road you can upgrade more at a time. It's wonderful. And I, I will say, contra to what I've said about the bidding and a lot of the other calculations in the Great Zimbabwe, it becomes a transparent very quickly. And that tension is one of the many tough trade-offs that you have to make over a course of the game. It's really well done. I'm looking forward to playing it again. Much more often, please. Certainly. And that is The Great Zimbabwe, published by Splatterspellen. We got to play Guards of Atlantis 2. I love this game so much, Walker. So good. <laughs> it's so good. I think I keep saying this. This is, I have it written here. Dear Artie, none of the illustrators are credited on the BGG page. Please change this. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe there's so many. <sighs> it's still. tough. Uh, typically... I think the way the database is set up is that there's the expectation that it is a small number of people. And if anything, if Artie's the graphic designer, he's kind of the person that would go there. But anyway, setting all that aside, uh, we, we we definitely agree with giving credit where credit is due, whether it's whether it's Tapple or whether it's Guards of Atlantis 2, two very different games. <laughs> <laughs> so I confess that this is one of those instances where I really was having difficulty figuring out how my character worked. I chose Bane the Bounty Hunter, who is definitely visually cool and has a number of interesting conceits. Uh, But the first, I think it was three or four rounds in the game, my sole contribution to the game state was dying. (laughs) That was the only thing I did. I couldn't kill a minion. I might have made an ineffectual attack against some other hero, I don't know. But I think the first thing that I did that significantly altered the game state was being killed by you. I think that was the first thing. That, That turned the tide against us somehow. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, it's weird because what I, what actually happened was, and, and this is what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about teamwork, uh, none of us were engaging in very good teamwork, I don't think. No. the It happens. I mean, we, we don't play the game as often as we would like to, and uh, to a certain extent that reaps its own benefits. There's always freshness. We don't really like system mastery as much as we like novelty, and so we're able to get that. Uh, not that I would object to obtaining a little bit of system mastery with Guards of Atlantis 2. And as a consequence, in, in our particular team, my teammate uh, would just 
kill anything that I could target faster than I could get there. And so he was off just farming everybody. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, he was was like level six and you're at level one. It was pretty amusing. Only level four. Yeah, I know, I know. He was he was at level four before I gained my first my first level up. And, it was an uh, exaggeration. Yeah, but it, le- it leads to interesting. Thing. I think because there's such a limitation of when you're allowed to talk that maybe people we shy away from because it's sometimes it's always a new player or yeah, refresh new player and they're not sure when they're allowed when they're allowed to talk. So maybe maybe we should just like lock down. It's like now you know now we can talk. Now we can't. It's entirely my own fault. Like if if, if I had sat down with Chip the Third and said, okay, buddy, <laughs> this one's mine. <laughs> I'm sure he would have been okay oh, with yeah. that. That's but... what I mean. Yeah. So I mean, like say now we get to, you know, strategize. There was... We were doing the same on our side. We weren't yeah. really talking and we we're just like sort of playing and learning these new characters like we always do. Yes. Of... Yes. The, the interesting part though, was I think, I think what actually turned the tide, what was actually game determinative was the one moment where we kind of engaged in pseudo telepathy, Chip the Third and I, because we, we, I was actually like, okay, okay, look, I, I emerged from my, I, I, I didn't take it very well. I was getting very frustrated. <laughs> Again, Guardians of Atlantis 2 is not great for people that have a very, very low frustration threshold because part of the genius of the game is it makes you work for everything. Every special ability you trigger is a triumph. Every neat thing you pull off is an achievement. And that's part of what makes it so great. And so we were sitting there and thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do. If we murder Huey, we win the game. Let's murder Huey. He said, on the right page. We all play our cards. You move right next to me. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. And we couldn't communicate. Now let's murder Walker instead. But I just did my card effect. And then when it came time for him to do his card effect, he got on on board and attacked you. I think that was the the one moment where we finally started to get some inkling of teamwork, and that might have been determinative. Anyway, Guys of Atlantis 2 remains on crowdfunding and GameFound. It is a singular experience. You absolutely should give it a try if you're ever in a position to get together with three friends and want to engage in a team-based game of any type. It is a triumphant game design, and I love it every time it hits the table. Guards of Atlantis 2. That is Guards of Atlantis 2 by Artem Nechaparov and Wolf Designer. I got to play a game on Board Game Arena called Hanamakoji. This is a very interesting card game, Mark, where it's very much split and choose, all sorts of different ways of split and choose. And so you dealt a whole bunch of cards. You're going to be discarding some. You're going to be definitely playing one of them. And then a bunch of them are going to be splitting with the one player you're playing against. And I thought, okay, I only played it the once, but I actually, you know, didn't just point and click like I have been usually on, <laughs> on new uh, Board Game Arena games. And it's, you know, four different actions you, you can choose from. And the order in which you take them is so consequential. And, and the cards that you have and the cards that you see your opponent has and which ones to take. And it's very much the sort of like a smash up deal where, you know, you want to have the most uh, strength on one side of a card. And, and you're trying to get to a total strength over two rounds. Or you might even pull it off in one round. Who knows? All I know is I'm looking forward to more plays of Hanem Koji. The... The particular sensation of staring at a card in my hand and knowing that just because it's in my hand doesn't really mean much <laughs> is so singular. And I think I felt it most strongly in Hanamikoji because it's a weird kind of frustration, a delightful kind of frustration. It's like, okay, I know it's here. That means I have so, I only have a very certain amount of influence over it. The person who's got it in their hand can determine when it hits the table. But they have zero control over whether or not they're the ones who get to play it. So it's one of those cases where personally I like being on the reactive end because I get I feel like I have more agency there. 
But the more subtle play, as as you point out, is about timing. It's about leveraging those choices. I never figured that part out, that part out of Hanami Koji. I played a couple times in real life. I got demolished both times precisely because I just could not figure out proper card play. Reactive card play, no problem. That's relatively straightforward. It's like, oh, okay, I'll take this card. I don't need that one, whatever. But the the, the more interesting parts, which are fascinating, I couldn't figure out. Yeah, because at first you might think, well, I'm going to get rid of this, you know, discard two cards because I don't like the look of these ones. I'm just going to get rid of them. And then halfway through that turn, you're like, but I wanted to add those two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm reminded a little bit of, in a much, much simpler way, the Reiner Knizia game, Loco or Thor. Thor is the version that I have. Where, you know, again, you look at the card in your hand and, and, and it takes you a moment to realize, wait a minute, the fact that it's in my hand doesn't really mean much because all the cards are in play. What matters is the order in which these cards are played. Okay, get hip to that. So I I find it very interesting when when knowing that you have the card means very little. <laughs> and both of those games give me that sense. I'm glad that Hanamakoji is on Board Game Arena. And lastly for me, Mark, I finally got to play Darwin's Journey. This is a Kickstarter that just fulfilled. is designed by Simone Luciani and Nestor Mangone. These uh, same designer of Barrage. And you can see some of the design influence of Barrage in this game. And for me, this Luciani, is... not Mangione. No, right? yeah. correct. And this game is the full package because oh, I love enjoy all the artwork and just the the theme and how it's all put together and the components and you are sort of in the Galapagos Islands. You're sending out explorers. They are eating everything they can see. I mean, <laughs> they are they are they are taking collecting samples, samples, collecting samples <laughs> of everything they can see, and then they're writing writing papers on them. And so it's this very distinct timing because anyone can get samples, but whoever gets to the museum first to write papers are the only ones that are going to be able to write papers on those specific samples. I found this flower. Is it poisonous? I don't know. Let's find out. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> nom, nom, indeed. And then there is the, there's lots of mechanisms. There's a sort of mini game in the middle where you're sending letters and stuff and it's going to give you benefits. So it's very much a game where, and it's this double layered worker placement where you have all these different workers and they have different skills and they can only go to certain places and you get to build upon those skills and there's also penalties for going where other workers are so it's this sort of double layer figuring out what to do and realizing you can't do some things but then finding the combo it's like well if i do this it'll get me this much money which will allow me to do the action i want to do in the first place plus this benefit will help me do this other one love everything about darwin's journey i played it a couple times on tabletop simulator before it came out now that I have in real life, it is very interesting to see it on the table and looks amazing. Darwin's Journey, can't wait to show it to you. Looking forward to trying it. I, I was a little bit disappointed by the Tabletop Simulator experience, but that's only because it's Tabletop Simulator. And anytime Simone Luciani is involved in the design, my expectations are very, very high. So I am absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, it does, however, get the Gibbons very angry because somewhat strangely, the Gibbons are creationists. Weird. I know. I, I, can't, I can't account for their media consumption. The Gibbons are strange that way. They've been influenced by someone. Yeah. This is published by Thunder Griffin Games, and looking forward to playing it more. And those are the games we played this week. It's great that ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, but you can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. It's so simple, even a gibbon could do it. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from over 100 different countries. I've been using ExpressVPN to check out Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance on South Korean Netflix, Friends and the American version of The Office on UK Netflix, Back to Canada for Sound of Metal, and luxuriating in the one and only Tim Riggins with US Netflix and Friday Night Lights. 
But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I love ExpressVPN is because it is so fast and unobtrusive. It also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash games, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now on to the news and why it doesn't matter. Mark, I constantly think I need to thank people and then I forget to write it in the my my notes and I always forget. So I want to thank Warm Boy. He takes care of our server. He takes very good care of our of our website. And our moderators on Discord that keep a look even though they, they're never required. <laughs> haven't been required. Well, yet. no, they, yeah. <laughs> you, you keep good moderators around in case you ever need them. But That's so right. far, yeah, as I say, the, our, our patron-exclusive Discord is a marvelous, marvelous place to be. Great discussion, great level of interaction, which is to say we've never really felt the need to step in because, you know, I mean, people ask us questions and then we respond, of course, but people have great conversations about themselves, and I certainly wouldn't want to trample on that. I also want to thank the listeners for spreading the word out to publishers, asking distrib- uh, distributors to send us review copies, suggesting topics to us, and voting on all the polls that we put out. So thank you to everyone that helps make this show enjoyable to make, enjoyable to give to you guys, and thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Mark, I very seldom throw up in my mouth many times. <laughs> But man, there's this game, it's called How to Lose a Guy in 1DM. Oh, jeez. Tell me about this game, Walker. I'm dreading it already. Well, you see, they've taken all these actual messages from people, and it's very much a Cards Against Humanity thing. So the messages come in, and then you get to play how you would respond, and of course, you know, humiliate him by this one response, and, you know, teach them, you know, know, how to really speak to people. Okay. (sighs) So bad. So let's talk about something that's actually interesting. Sure. Mark, we like Planet Unknown. It is getting an expansion, which seems very much like a, hey, this game is not, uh, is very much out of print. Uh, <laughs> here's an expansion, quotation marks. <laughs> um, and now everyone can buy a new copy. It's the standard distribution model, and it drives me nuts. You publish the game, you wait six to 12 months, and then you the only way to get it is through the reprint. It's, it's just the nature of things. Carrying stock, I understand why it happens. Carrying stock is expensive and risky, but it's it's a bit of a shame. I do like Planet Unknown, though. Although I have to say, I probably won't get in on more content because our experiences with all the additional stuff, the surrounding elements tend to be all over the map. No yes. pun intended with respect to Planet Unknown. So I'm probably happy with the amount of Planet Unknown I have, which is to say just the quote unquote retail box. Of course, retail is a bit of a joke because it's not, it would. Yeah. No. And. Staying in crowdfunding now, Shards of Infinity Mark is getting a whole new deal. It's going to be crowdfunded. You're going to be able to everything in one box. Who knows what it's going to look like? Upgraded components. If you've heard us talk about Shards of Infinity, you know it's a great deck building game with you know stuff from Clank Incorporated, i.e. like sort of color matching deck building. 
interesting in sort of co-op modes and and all sorts of different game modes all in one box coming up on crowdfunding and you know they've had a much more sparse just uh, expansion release schedule than even their other properties right ascension has expansions all the time there's tons of them so being an ascension expansionist is almost ludicrous especially if you're a sleever oh my goodness nothing but pity if you compare it to any of the realms games any of the realms games by wise wizard same story Whereas Shards of Infinity has a much more, you know, every few years rather than every half year or so forth. Or in case of, you know, living card games every other week. Well, yes, but living card games are obviously in the category of themselves. So Ryan Lockett, he, he does a bunch of games, the Sleeping Gods and, and so forth. There's a game coming out, Mark, that might be right up our alley. It's called Creature Caravan. Because there are many games we play that whoever has the coolest creatures wins. Yes. And this looks like it's almost exactly like that game. You're going along a path <laughs> and you're collecting all these creatures from the land and they're going to sort of create your tableau and your combos in front of you. And you're going to go forth and, and do stuff with this creature caravan. Well, I do like creatures and I do like Ryan Laucat art, but yes. uh, tableau building, mm, we'll, well see. We'll see. Yeah. So uh, you you dropped a comment, Walker, during our last Pledge of Indifference, causing me to go chase down the information. And I think this deserves some some recognition on the main show. This is what's happening with Mythic Games. So I, I do want to pull back before, before because I sort of criticized him for asking for money and sunglasses and with all the special effects. Yeah, I did want to do... He, he, did, did, yes. he did have an issue with his... I didn't, like, watch the whole thing. I was and good, I, and I, I apologize for that. He did have... Yeah. Uh, uh, an actual medical an issue, ocular yes, yes. problem, so I, I apologize for that. Thank you, Walker. Yeah, no, that, that's entirely appropriate. So, Mythic Games was one of the publishers who, during the past wave of nonsense, went hat in hand asking its backers for more money, and I was one of the people affected by this because of my pledge for Darkest Dungeon, the board game, which I acquired exclusively for Huey's benefit. I can, I can, I, he just looks at me with those puppy dog eyes, and I can, can't say no to him. And they wanted extra money for shipping on account of the fact that the world had exploded and shipping costs were now th three to seven times what they had been before. I didn't like it. I wasn't going to defend it. But nonetheless, when considered against the vast scheme of how much product was owed and what I'd already given them, an extra 20 bucks seemed like, seemed like a, a, a price I was willing to pay. This was clearly sending the wrong message, though, because Mythic Games is now going back to their uh, backers for six siege and what they're asking for here number one will not cover shipping increases and number two is more than half of the original pledge so they're asking for example for 39 american dollars when the base pledge was 69 american dollars nice and for the all the game for the all-in pledge they want 129 extra dollars and again this is before they're going to hit them again with shipping this is a new frontier and i will say that the market seems to have responded, and if the if the the problem is, it's always hard to tell based on the chatter on Game Fora, especially Board Game Geek, because it's easy for heavily Board Game Geek ed people to assume that that represents the hobby. It doesn't. It represents a subset of the hobby. The chatter on Board Game Geek is very clear that the people there are not impressed and will not be paying. But you can never tell. It could be the case that a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. Figure it's a sunk cost and they're going to pony up the money. Yeah, because a lot of these people are not even on Board Game Geek. Right. They are players of Six Siege, the computer game, and bought the board game just right. out of, you know, being a fan. And the problem is, I'm a little bit concerned for those people because they might not know what's coming next 
right? Getting you're gonna get hit with a, another bill for shipping, or possibly other bills for other cost overruns. Because Mythic's now gotten a taste. Yeah, you've dug your hole. Yeah, I'm now glad. And the thing is, they're gonna have to do this for everything else that they have outstanding. I vaguely thought, again, in the fever dreams of just nice little toys, of pledging for Anastir because it reminded me of Golden Axe, and I love me some Golden Axe. You know, a side scroller with people riding animals, whatever. I'm very glad I missed that boat because they're gonna have to ask for more money for that. They're gonna have to ask for more money for the second wave of Darkest Dungeon. And let me tell you, if it's again, we need money for the content and then more money for more shipping, I'm out. Like they can sit on whatever expansions that they haven't released already. I'm done with this nonsense. I sincerely hope that this is not a model that gets perpetuated into the future, because this is some nonsense. Oh, I'm can we can we get into like sort of predictions or something i'm okay i'm, I'm sure. wondering i'm just wondering if because these are both licensed games yes and i'm wondering if they did get into a little trouble with darkest dungeon and maybe they dipped into a little bit of of six siege to to keep them afloat and to keep things moving so people would be happy and now people people are definitely on the opinion that they're more or less running as a ponzi yeah. scheme and now they're yeah. a little more i don't know if that's true a little but... more deep right yeah and, and i'm hoping that this this, this will clear because i enjoyed a lot of the things they put out like the, the uh reich busters i enjoyed but, but but the license fees though should have been the most transparent element of the cost evaluations i don't think we can blame this on licensing Right? No, but I mean, it's an added cost on top of what they they're of course, normal, they of normally Of course it's an added have. cost, but it's a certain cost, I would I would wager. Yes. Anyway. And this is, the problem with this is that it's basically the, the, the evils of crowdfunding coming home to roost. I've said it before and I'll say it again. A Kickstarter pledge or a GameFound pledge or a Backerkit pledge is an interest-free loan. And that's great for the publisher because they get an interest-free loan, but if the cost overruns, later on because they accept the money 12 months before they plan on doing anything about it. Well, now we have the model where you get to give them an industry loan, and if the market changes so that costs go down or stay the same, they profit. But if the market changes and costs go up, you're on the hook for that too anyway. So they're... Anyway, I, I, I do not... I'm not in favor of this. I would encourage anyone who's back to Six Siege. There's no reason to believe that this is the last time they're going to come to you for money. I'm not giving them any more cash for for the one product that I have outstanding with them. I'm glad I dodged the bullet with Anastir. I sincerely hope that I have no I have no wish for the company to fail, but I hope that this attempt fails. Other crowdfunding news: Seismic. I did actually get to try Seismic with the stripped down, no take that cards version, and it was much more enjoyable, much more to my taste. Got to focus on the elements of the action selection that's so much more pleasing that we enjoy. And I will say that this has been one of the most responsive Kickstarter campaigns I've ever seen because we talk, again, this is something we talk a lot about on Pledge of Indifference, but I think it's relevant here. Very frequently, what happens is a deluxe product comes out and people say, could there be a cheaper version available? And the publisher might hem and haw or might immediately offer it. And then nobody pledges for that. (laughs) It happened with Gatefall. Gatefall, and I think it's happening here with Seismic, because Seismic is completely over the top with respect to components. The toy factor is huge, more or less unparalleled in any modern board game. And planetary mining action set. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And despite that, so the the base pledge, the the all-in deluxe pledge, is 249 American dollars. That is a lot of money. And I have no idea how he's able to sell it for that. Yeah. It's, it's just like... It's worth it. You, like I said, when I say planetary mining yeah. action set, 
That's planetary mining actions at time six. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because it's that's the whole set for six different players. Yes, the amount of plastic per faction dwarfs a lot of other games that you're already going to buy for like $150. And okay. that's setting aside all the other components. Anyway. So there was going to be a quote-unquote retail version with no miniatures and with actually some interesting design elements like slots in the terrain pieces that will help you adjudicate stacking limits and the units just slot in so they get to stand up. Uh, clever elements. And now there's also an intermediate pledge, which is $179, with four factions, not all six. Given that I'll probably be playing with four fa uh, four factions at most, that is, I think, that I'm already pledged for Seismic. I might, I might downgrade to the 179 pledge. But here's the interesting thing. Despite all the chatter, this, again, it's tough to gauge where the audience is and what the, the market actually wants. The number of pledges for the, for the $249 version is 311. The number of pledges for the 179 version, which I think pound for dollar might, might be the, the best one, is 40. And for the retail version is 11. That is a significant drop-off between editions. And it's weird because, again, it's every time you release a product, there's always the same set of demands, right? Some of them are, where's the solo mode? I want an insert that can hold sleeve cards, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But with these, the, the market pressures are encouraging these developers and these publishers, whether it's independent guys like Jason for Seismic, or whether it's the bigger ones to produce these bigger and more elaborate things with more and more plastic inside, and that's clearly what the consumers want, but at the same time, you get people whining about wanting a cheaper version, and then they don't buy the cheaper version, they buy the more expensive one. It's weird. It's weird. I, this is not, this. there's no judgment here. No. I'm not tutting anybody. I just find it a strange development, and I, I'm glad I'm not a publisher. I wouldn't know how to deal with this if I were a publisher. So that non-tut-tutting sort of leads into my last thing here. I've written here, Mark, ramping up the criticism. As, as I'm running out of shelf space here, mm -hmm. the weight of the number of games <laughs> that are in this house is pressing, and... I'm, and it's not a good, great feeling. A lot of people just are, enjoy having a large collection. You're not one of them. I'm not one of them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried. And so I want to help people sort of, you know, pick the right games. Sure. So I'm just going to sort of say, you know, if I see more negative in the future, it's because I want you to realize that this game has something that, that ha doesn't have anything new to offer. And sure. Some, and these games have something new. So I'm just throwing it out there. If you think Walker's become more negative, this is why. The weight of the collection <laughs> is growing. On that topic, let's talk about a game that you got rid of, but then regretted and got it back. Fayum. Fayum. Fayum is getting an expansion this year, Walker. That is exciting. Exactly. Fayum privileges. Now, this is weird because baked into the numbering system of the cards and mentioned in the rulebook, it was developed around the possibility of getting expansions. So naturally, people have been curious, where are the where are these expansions? Far more so than any other normal game, because again, you know, Friedman kind of asked for it. We're on a first name basis. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I call him Freddy. He doesn't like that at all. No. He says, that's not my name, Mark. And it's like, don't call me Mark. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. Stop like, emailing me. Yeah, it's, I know, it's yeah. Very, look, it's very playful. The cease and desist letters are also very tongue-in-cheek, yeah. I'm sure. My lawyer doesn't agree, but my lawyer's a given, so what do you want? Anyway, Fae and Privileges is going to be, what What would you expect? More cards. Sadly, there's not going to be an official publisher version of Googly Eyes for the Crocodile, so that will be your oh, own special edition no, of Fae. I am looking forward to that. Wow. Yep. All right. Good stuff. That is the news and why it does not matter. Now, on to the topic of the week, which is right game, wrong people. There's a there's a line that, that gets repeated in the first Clerks movie. And uh, I've repeated it when I was in education for the appropriate context. And now I think it is appropriate for the board gaming hobby sometimes. Sometimes. 
The line when I was in education is, this job would be great if it weren't for all the students. <laughs> the line of the board game hobby is, this hobby would be great if it weren't for all the players. <laughs> I don't feel like that all the time. We are spoiled. We are spoiled. We are spoiled. Absolutely spoiled. So, Mark, we are very privileged. I have a certain window every day, and it's in the morning. So there's not a, a large group of people that can come, but we right. do get enough people to play. And sometimes the, I don't even want to say level, that sounds gateway. We're going to get into gateway and gatekeeping later, I'm sure. But the the level of game that people are comfortable with is at a certain level. Well, and, let's, and, let's, and, I want, and, I, and I want it to be at a different level. Rules density, rules complexity. Okay. Right? I don't think there's any gatekeeping involved in correctly observing that some people prefer different weights of game. Like, that's fine. Like, and, and it actually, it has done me a world of good to know some gamers who have collections bigger than mine, and they're almost all medium or lighter games. Like they, they just do not play heavier games as a rule, but nonetheless have these massive collections. This is an interesting class of gamer. I would not have known that gamer existed had I not met some of them. True, but that's, there's no judgment involved. But that's not liking. I, I That's liking. Like you said, they have a bigger collection yeah. because they've played games and they know what they like. Sure. This, I think in in, in some cases, oh, it enough. might be they haven't they haven't played the games yet and they feel maybe they're not ready for the 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 more complex games and i'm wondering how to slowly step them up to these more complex games and to try to try to make them and and make them understand that they are ready or maybe they're not maybe they're not that is a tough proposition oh geez it's weird because here's the thing and 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 i have certain this is actually relevant i have certain philosophical commitments and one of them is that unlike aristotle and unlike the virtue ethicists I do not believe that preferences can be trained. And I'm, I'm, I believe this is a matter of psychological fact. Uh, and I believe this in the context of, uh, you can train people to think lots of things, but in the context of, of trying to train someone to like something else, let's well, not like it. I'm not, tr- I'm not, I'm not trying to make them like it. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, okay. I, I'm trying to get rid of this, this, this feeling they have as though that they're not ready or do not understand the heavier games when I feel that they do. Yeah. So, okay. So this is actually related to a whole bunch of different social phenomena that exist, right? When I see somebody and you can almost see it visually, it's almost literally on their face during the rules explanation, you can just watch this process where they've convinced themselves that they don't understand. It's the dead stare. It, and there's just no coming back from it. You, there's just nothing that can be done. And part, one of the great social tragedies of this interlocking set of social compacts that make our hobby possible is that you can be locked into these no-win situations. And this is truly, I think, when the hobby is at its worst, uh, socially speaking. Well, no, actually, sorry. Uh, excluding people because of, of a certain descriptive characteristics is worse. Sorry. But some of the worst experiences that I've experienced firsthand. Everyone's sitting down. And you're like, you're halfway through the rules explanation. The game might already be set up. There's other people around and you can just see that someone has convinced themselves that they can't get it. You can't pull out. Like, you can't, like, it, it, can you? Sorry, let me ask that question. Do you think it is legitimate in cases like that where you can, where you can see it to be like, I think we should play something else. Can this be done? I, I. Because you understand the risks, right? It, it's I, tough. I, it's, it's, it's the Star Trek, Mark. It's, 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 the, it's, it's the, the, the will of the many outweigh the, the will of the one. It's, you look at that person. And, <laughs> I thought that was the say, good of the many outweigh And the... you say, do you feel as though you're not getting this? Because we haven't started yet. 
you can get up and get away from my table in my game. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, no, that but, turned a little bit at the end. No, no, I, you but, know what I'm saying. That's the problem. Kind of that's the problem, though. Saying that, that, that either the people sitting at the table should play a different game or saying that, that it's it feels very exclusionary. It feels like a different kind of gatekeeping, right? It feels like you're not invited to this party anymore. Like it, 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 but right? I, I don't know. Can can we say that you know we've played enough, so we've seen this happen, so we understand that this one person that's going to cause a problem. Do I want to say a problem? But is going to, you know, dead stare out and not listen to the rules because they think they don't get it. Now they're they're going to keep playing and slow the game down and make it unfun for the four other people at this yep. table. Do you stop it? Do you make that call? Okay, clearly. Clearly, in an ideal world, right, you would be able to say some set of magic words that would then prompt the individual to be like, you're right, this seems like a bad fit for me. Let's all do something else. Or why don't I go do something else? Whatever. Like, in an ideal world, that would that, that's yes. what would happen, I, th- I think. Similarly, this is a bit of a, a, of a stretch, but it's the exact same phenomenon. Similarly, in an ideal world, everyone would speak their primary language. Because it's easier to understand a foreign language than it is to speak it. But invariably, what you end up happening in Montreal is the Anglo speaks French while the Francophone speaks English, right? And similarly, in the gameplay environment, we're locked... Because, again, I don't know what those magic words are. Let's go back to the original. You'd say some magic words without offending anybody, without saying they're stupid, or without leading to any implication that they're stupid, and without excluding them from the social environment. You'd be able to well, say something. Well, what are those words? What well, are those magic words? Well, Walker? you could just keep, you could give it like an open ending. Like I said, I'll actually finish what I was going to say without being silly at the end. You could say, you look as though you're not, you, you're not, you're not under, no, sorry. It looks as though you're not going to enjoy this game. We haven't actually started yet. Do you think we should play something else? Now, they're going to look and see, you know, four to three to four other people eagerly wanting to play <laughs> this game. Right. And maybe they will make the call and say something. No, I'll just go over to this other table and and I'll play this game, or they will double down and and you know break the dead stare and realize people are in it and and pay attention and try to move the game along. In my experience, every time, and it could be I just didn't say it right, and it could just be that my manner wasn't correct. I mean, look, I'll own it. I come off far more aggressive than I mean to most of the time. I come off far more condescending than I mean to most of the time. Condescending means talking down to people, Walker. Um, <laughs> couldn't help it. Sorry. <laughs> I've tried, like someone, like it's like, you know, I get, I, I've, I've, tr- I've said things along those lines. In my experience, that has maybe worked like once, ever, and it was a glorious day, <laughs> and that was a day of happiness and celebration. But so that works into this top comment right here. It says, "Is it an open invitation or not?" Like that's, that's the big thing. When right? you set up the, when you set the game up and you ask people to play, did you leave it like? Are you going to be welcoming and, and try your best to involve all the people that decide to sit down and play, regardless of how they look after the fact? Yeah, because there's this thing that I've been thinking about very seriously, because you, you haven't been to as many open game nights as I have lately. Uh, you've been doing more online stuff, and I've been doing more open gaming stuff, and that's fine. This is not a judgment, just an observation. And again, so I've been in a position to, to, to think on, again, the many sets of interlocking implicit and explicit social contracts that inform an a public gaming event, you know, where there's multiple people, multiple tables. And there's a tragedy of the commons situation that, that quickly kicks in. Are you familiar with the tragedy of the commons? It's just this idea that there's a commonly available resource and a set of even well-meaning individual people can end up exploiting that resource, leaving it so that it's not available for other people going forward. 
and of course, there's also other elements of that. But put simply, that's how I'd phrase it. And so f- there's a set of behaviors that on their own seem reasonable that in conjunction with each other can lead to bad situations. For example, this isn't directly related to the, the issues we're talking about here, but it informs them. The people who, in advance, in private messages, arrange to play a particular game. And they show up, they're at max player count, they've set up before the, 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 the quote-unquote public game that exists, and they start playing. I've done that before, right? I think you've done that before as oh, well. Yeah, I've talked about it. And, yeah. And, but we... But when I did it, it was, it it was almost predetermined, and we weren't going there to partake in open gaming or sort of. Sure. We, we were there just to to see what it was all about. You know, we had our set. You thing. can try to clean your conscience however I'm you want. Totally going yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. We, we were playing uh, Pathfinder. Yeah, the Pathfinder the, campaign. Pathfinder yeah. campaign, and we said, well, well, instead of just sitting here, why don't we just go down there and play and see what this gaming thing is all about? So it wasn't so much as that, you know, like going behind the back like sort of like sure. how that feels like that where it was just like well let's just change the venue right then there on top of that this just feeds into a whole bunch of social dynamics where i i'm in a position where i end up feeling like and i've commented on this before where i have to be exert the responsibility of being the table of last resort right because because of my refusal to plan ahead in this way it just so happens that anybody that shows up at 6.05 without, you know, for a game that starts at 6, uh, chances are excellent that I'm the last one left or the last one getting people together. Because similarly, I don't feel comfortable getting the max player count before the event starts. If the event normally starts at 6, I don't want to be that person where everything is set up. So if somebody shows up at 5 to 6, there's nothing available for them. That makes me feel bad, too. That, I think, is also another possible consequence of the tragedy of the commons. As a, as a result, when when the, the time starts, when the event quote-unquote starts, that's when I start walking down details about what to do. And even that leaves some people out in the cold, but whatever. And so invariably, almost invariably, when it comes time to public game nights, what happens is uh, I'm not in a position where I could, in good conscience, start setting up a heavy game. Because I don't want to be in that position of... Saying something as well, this is the one game, this is the one table of players left. How do you feel about three hours of economics? Oh, I think, you know, like the times that I do show up, we're usually in the same boat. We're just sitting. I think it's because we play so many games, you know, not on that game night. Yeah. That, that we're not stressed to get, you know, it's like a lot of people there, this is their one night they get to play a game. So they're like a little bit stressful. Yep. They want to get it started. They want to make sure they're in a game. Sure. And they want to get it going. Whereas we're like... You know, we're going to play tomorrow morning anyway, and we just played this morning. So, <laughs> you know, so we're just sort of like, eh, you know, whatever happens, happens. Sure. But now let me turn to, because all I, I just want to stress, all of these things, I have zero conception about how to, how to address them and solve them. Because, again, there's a whole bunch of unspoken social arrangements here that the mo- that even addressing them sometimes feels rude. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good little Canadian passive-aggressive boy. I'm certainly not going to skewer any of those, those unspoken social conventions. But... There is an opportunity cost, right? Because 99% of the time, we play with three or four players. That's just the way things shake out. And that's a great number for almost all games. Almost all. Almost. Right? Exactly. So when I mentioned, for example, that I've been able to play Quartermaster General with the full component of six, your eyes went wide because the thought of that being a possibility is 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 very strange. Well, not just having six people, having six people that want to play a, a, a war game. Exactly. Well, it's... War game. Ah, yeah, yeah. Game about you know war. I mean. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I understand what you mean. So, 
the I so the, the the fact that my my public game opportunities frequent I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm some sort of martyr. I enjoy being with people. I enjoy I, I enjoy the social aspects and all like that. I just part of me uh, is holding the perfect in opposition to the good, right? I'm just imagining a perfect universe where I would always get to play everything that I always want and get to be friendly and social with, with all these people. But the, the, the fact of the matter is they often come in conflict. And that's the problem. There's this conflict between being with the people you want to be with and playing the games you want to you want to play. And that disjuncture just grates on me because I enjoy both of those bits. Anyway. Yeah, because games play differently with different people. Absolutely. And, and even when you get the game that you want to play on the table with people that want to play it. Some, you Sometimes you want to bring it somewhere else and play it with different people because you know that it's going to Oh, I'm not even at that level different yet. Ways. Yes. I'm, just, I'm just looking at my five-player games and my six-player games being, oh, maybe someday. <laughs> so additionally, even though most of the time we have a considerable greater degree of latitude, right? We don't have to worry in your basement or in my dining room about somebody wandering up that we've never met before and or that we know can is only fully comfortable with games of a certain rules density. And once again, allow me to stress 100%, I make zero inferences about that level of comfort and their level of intellectual acuity. Zero. I mean that very sincerely. I know, I, I, I take it as a matter of faith, and I know for a fact there are lots of people who are comfortable with heavier games that doesn't make them smart. And I have lots of smart people that are not comfortable with rules grid at all. It's just a very particular thing. If you're good with rules, that means you're good with rules. It doesn't mean you're smart. Anyway, to repeat that, moving on. So even though we don't have to worry about that stranger or that person we barely know wandering up and, and signing up for something that we suspect might be uh, out of their gaming depth, specifically their gaming depth, there is still the issue of of scheduling problems. Like, we adore Huey to death. There are some games he won't play. We, uh, you know, all the people that that, that, that that grace this are nonetheless impose restrictions on what it is that we're able to get to the table. And it, the alternative of, so most people, this would never become a factor. But nonetheless, it's a factor for us, so I think it's worth mentioning. Like, if we have to review a game and... We basically have two options then, sometimes. We either create the expectation that somebody like Huey would bow out of an occasion he might otherwise join in on. That feels terrible. Or we make people play games they don't want to play. That feels terrible, too. Yes. And whether that's because of your job, in our case, or because of, I don't know, the irrational slash unfriendly enthusiasm of a particular player, it's a terrible dynamic. So I'm wondering in our case, because I have sort of like a calendar that I keep and people sign up, I'm wondering if we should just write the name on that particular, the name of the game on that particular day, say, this is the game we're playing, so be aware. And then they can either sign up or not sign up. Yeah, it's tricky though, because, well, in our particular case, a lot of people are are, are recurring, but um, just automatically. Yes. And I I agree with you that in our particular case, that would probably probably solve it. But let's go back to the vast majority of people, right? I think of all those people yes. that barely get to play games at all, who I feel particularly badly for those people who barely get to play games at all, and that occupies a substantial subsection of their time with some of their friends, right? So you've got your new copy of Horseless Carriage, or Tricarion, or whatever, or the new Vladikavatl, well, he hasn't really done anything new that's heavy in a very long time, or the new Vitalis or whatever. Like, are you ever going to be able to get these games to the table? Like highly specific tastes that tend to be relatively high rules depth 
And just because you can't handle heavy rules depth doesn't mean you want to play all heavy games. Almost no one's like that. Like, I've had my copy of Successors 4th Edition unpunched for over a year now. I looked it up, Mark. There is a website called Meetup. I use this website when I travel to Europe. Sure. It works everywhere. I just checked it before we started here. Yeah? It's still working. You can (laughs) just type in board games, and it'll tell you all sorts of these niche board game groups that are meeting that you never even heard of in Kingston. Are you telling me to make new friends? Yes. And so new, so oh, you can geez. make you can even make groups. You can say, "Hey, I just got this new Vidal Lacerda game called Weather Machine." You're right. And and Jeez. I'm going to be playing it Sunday night at six o'clock. Either at, at you probably don't want to invite strangers to your home. Yeah. But you can find restaurants and yeah. church basements and all these different places where where you can meet people and have them come. And you're going to have to take a risk. Yeah. If you want this game played then you're going to have to put yourself in. You're right. Well, but that's just it. It, That, I think, it's a very helpful suggestion. But I think it's another way of articulating that same tension that I articulated. Being with the people you want to be with and playing the games you want to play. Yes. Right? Because if you're you're getting random, I mean, sure, it can work out great. But to my mind, and maybe this is just the same perspective that led me to forget about things like Meetup. So thank you for reminding me about things like that and for for commenting. I'm I'm sure there were many listeners that were screaming. It's like, big knee, you ignorant loser. There are these things called meetup and lots of other groups. You can use them. Don't be such a twit. Or screaming more than they normally would about my being a twit. But few things strike me as a less appealing prospect than getting meeting three new people just so we can play Successors 4th Edition. Like that, ugh, that sounds rough. Okay, well, if you don't like that, how about online implementations? We have things like Yakata and Board Game Arena. It's true. Which yeah. also are getting, also playing are, with are randos. Getting, yeah, are, are also getting our heavier games there. So you can, even though they are randos, you don't have to do face to face interaction. And sometimes the chat's not even used. You simply are watching what they do and doing your thing. And either you can play live or turn based, however you like. I think my feelings on digital implementations are well established at this point. I, I'm sorry, it's true. <laughs> I, I thought maybe we were going to help the listeners and not just have this just about you, Mark. Oh no, no, I, this I apologize. Is, no, no, this is so you can help give me advice. Okay, because oh. I'm almost always the one explaining the rules, and I get to be the one true watching people close their mind down and, and refusing to accept it's that true. they can understand how the game game plays. That is true. <laughs> no, but you're right. <laughs> no, I mean it. This is this is very helpful stuff. I'm I'm locked in my own little perspective with my own little challenges. It is good to know that there are that there are other alternate venues, even if I don't want to pursue them. My next line here is never force, and we've talked about this many times. You know, never force. Read the room. Never force. Read the room. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever done that. I There's think a- I think we we played a lot of games, and and maybe we've done it with people that we haven't played with, a, you know, a lot, and you know, someone new, and maybe we've we've introduced something not realizing their background type thing and maybe we've done it not that i know of well we've never done a thing that i see lots of other people do which is set up a game before they have other people buy in or that just seems like asking for trouble uh in in a convention setting maybe right like if you're willing to sit there and wait for for like 30 minutes to an hour for someone to come by and enough people to fill out that that's one thing but you know in an average 12 to 18 person three hour weeknight board game night eh, that's asking for serious trouble we've never yeah, show up at a game night and set up an 18xx game. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, even in cases where someone's like the last player to join a fourth seat, we still ask them, is this game okay with you? And if someone said no, then I don't think either of us would ever say something like, well, it's this or nothing. We don't. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. We, like, 
So, uh, well, there'll be more comments later that aren't serious, but yes, yes, no. In, in, in reality, <laughs> I've never said that. Yes. Anyways, like I said, we already talked. If they're not feeling it, then stop. And that, that works. I wish we could. I, I in mean, some cases, right? It's if, so hard. If if it is our core group in, in, yes. in, in, in our homes, yes. then that happens all the time. It does. But, but I wish it happened more often, to be frank. And uh, But like we talked about in game night situations, there's those four other people so, where it is yeah. their only opportunity for the week to like have that one relaxing hour where they get to do what they want. A lot of people have such full schedules. But I have it in two, people get stubborn. People, people think that it's, it's terribly irresponsible to abort a beginning game, even if it's the, the rules explanation. I see where that comes from and they're trying to just play along to get along. I just wish that people would be willing to, to say, I'm okay with continuing, but if we called it <laughs> or, I, I can keep going if you want to, but I get the impression that not everyone's on board. You know, I, I, I wish that people were more comfortable talking that way. Yeah, it feeds into this one here. It skipped one, but that's okay. If the game was your idea, then be very patient. Like, if you're the one that brought this game to the table, then, you know, and there's lots of questions coming in, well, then tough. You know, yeah, this was your idea. I know. Try to get everyone to understand the rules. I'm sorry. Walker. And remember that they're there to have fun. They didn't come. They didn't write on their on their scheduler. <laughs> go to Mark's and make him very angry because that's a fun thing to do. I, I don't think that's why they're doing this. They they also want to have fun, and that's why they're there. It's true. Um, You're very wise, Walker. Play my game or get the F out. That's, that's, that's good, right? How about this one? Uh, I know you would never do this, but if, if you know it's a heavier game, Ask, ask them to watch a video first like not of course on a game night while everyone's sitting there but if it's pre-planned actually i should get back to this before we do this that that messaging in the background for a predetermined game at a game night that is happening at our local game night it should be happening more on the actual website sure because there's a facebook, there's group, a yeah. facebook group and yeah. it should be open to everyone right and i think that's not that's like a hundred percent better than the way it's happening now. I, so I used to do on the reg roughly every month. We, I called it the war council. We usually played war games, but not exclusively. This was for weekends for heavier games. I would serve cucumber sandwiches. It is the case that I don't want to, I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying not to jinx it. There may be in the coming month, a war council for, for successors, fourth edition. All right. Nice. And you're absolutely right. When there was a war council, I always just distributed the rules. I mean, the rules publicly available, but I gave a full rules explanation anyway. Times have changed. So now I would be supplying the rules and ideally a rules video. The problem is, and this is just me getting back to my not liking rules explanation videos. I can't vouch for them. Like, in, like the, the, the rate of rules errors in the rules explanation videos is very high. And I don't know if I want to sit down to, an, to a 45-minute long video explaining a game I already know how to play just to make sure I, I get the errors so I can emphasize them during my own rules explanation. But anyway, you're absolutely right. Video is the new way to do it. I'm still going to... But is that too much to ask for someone? No. I, I, yes, it is. It's, it's too much to ask for someone to expect it, right? Gotcha. I don't think... No, I don't mean expect it, but even to ask, you think that's too much? No, I supply it as a... Well, I, I, it's weird. I think if somebody knows... They find processing rules a little more difficult. That put uh, puts a certain degree of, of responsibility on them to try to consume at least some of the materials in advance. 
But my attitude towards bigger event gaming like that has always been, here are the materials if you want them, but there will be a full ex- rules explanation if you don't, or even if you, or even if you have consumed them. Here's a good idea. There is a game that you want to get to the table. And for this game, like we know, there are many build-up games to it. Like there's a game that's almost like it, but just yep. slightly similar. So you bring the lighter game to the gaming group. Then at the end of the game, you explain about this other game that you want to get to the table. It's almost just like this one, but it's just a little more crunchy. Is there anyone here that would be interested in trying it? And that will be a little bit of expectation of that it's a little more difficult and a little more excitement. And maybe people will say, yeah, for sure, bring it. I really enjoyed this. Let's give this other one a try. I hear you. Uh, and that that probably is would be a successful tactic in some instances. I have two immediate misgivings, though. One, if it's sufficiently successful, you're basically signing up for next week's game in advance anyway. So it's the same problem we've been identifying. And number two, I have really bad luck with identifying, you know, game X is kind of like game Y for players. Invariably like, well, the thing that I really liked at game X isn't here. So this is totally different. It's like, oh, all right. Okay. Sorry. I thought they were similar because they shared like 85% rule similarities, but that one bit that you really like isn't here. So now you're just disappointed. I hate setting up expectations like that. <laughs> well, Mark, if they don't like it, tell them to go buy Monopoly and hang out the daycare. <laughs> All right. The other last one is... <laughs> well, that's not your final word on the topic? Yes, no, no. The last one is uh, be prepared to learn and enjoy solo modes. Yep. It's true. You're absolutely right. And th- th- that is exactly why I resort to solo modes for a lot of different games. Like, I really, really, really want to play this, but I know that Walker's not going to like it, and I don't think I can bring it out in a public night, so that leaves solo, and that's all there's going to be. Yeah, it happens. Uh, but the category of games I don't like is awfully small. Well, it's not a category. It's just a list, right? There are some games you, like, off the top of my head, I really want to play more Millennium Blades. You want to play more Millennium Blades, Walker? No, I don't. I have barely had any experience with the expansion races of Sidereal Confluence. You want to play Sidereal Confluence, Walker? No. Yeah, so there you go. It's, yes, true. There, are, there is a list. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a, it's a small uh, list. It's not a, a huge. It's not a huge list, but it's there. The moment there's a solo mode for Serial Confluence, I'll be amazed. <laughs> that would be that would be something. I'd, be I'd actually want to see that played. I, I don't think I would. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you very, very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find all our contact information at sowronggames.com slash contact. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. We really appreciate your having decided to spend some time with us. We hope to see you again soon, and thanks for tuning in. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. Actually, if you play Monopoly right, it's a very complicated game. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.